All right, so let's get into our, into our study for today. We're going to finish up this uh, series, three-part series, on a biblically conservative response to critical theory. But before we do that, let's get into the review. So how many of you now have ascended? Now, we've been talking about this for four weeks. How many of you have ascended to that level of your day-to-day life where you are now doing three I am thankfuls to every one I am unhappies? Oh, Carl, you did? More than that. More than that? What, what's your number currently that we can all aspire to? You're, you're yeah, not, be thankful. Yeah, be thankful. Yeah, but I want some tangible evidence of that. That's what I'm looking for here. Yeah, 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 I know. I mean, be thankful. I, I, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. But again, the, the premise here is what you practice predicts what you'll do. What you practice predicts what you'll do. Okay, so there's a little bit of that sort of conditioning. You know, it would be like this. It would be sort of like if you practice, like every time you do a Thanksgiving, somebody gives you an M&M. After a while, you would start to do what? You would do more and more of it because you like M&Ms. Okay, it's just like when they train seals. Isn't that right? (laughs) Isn't that what they do? Yeah. The, the seal does a little flip in the water, and they throw a little thing of fish. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. So, so humans are basically conditionable, right? And so that's the idea of it. All right, well, anyway, this is, that's just a, a fun little thing to think about. All right, let's get into the Word then for today, which is 2 Corinthians five sixteen to 21. The reason why I include it is, is that because today, as we talk about the impact that critical theories are having on many of the walks of life that we, in, we encounter, it's, it's also important for us as Christians to realize what is our role? What is our purpose? What is the thing in life that we are commended to do and empowered to do and then motivated to do as a result of what God has done for us? And I think this Second Corinthians 5 passage best describes the, the value that we can bring to the table. And, and then also it sort of charges us with a, some sense of what our responsibility and our opportunity is. Okay? So 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, what's the takeaway that that you get from this? What do you get from that? We have a speaking role. We have a speaking role, and what is it that we are speaking? Bless you. Okay, there you go. That was so timely. That was so like you couldn't have 
you couldn't have planned it even any better than that. And then how did we respond? We said, bless you, right? So there you go, just without even thinking about it. All right, so we have a, we have a, uh, uh, we have a speaking uh, purpose in life. What else? Example. Be an example, right, exactly. That if you are somebody's ambassador, it's not only that it shows up in, in what you say, but it shows up in how you conduct yourself is that we are representatives, not just of Jesus, but of what Jesus has done for us. So that this idea of gratitude, of living, that your life is gratitude, it's kind of like what Carl was saying a second ago, it's that you, you, it's that you be thankful. It's not only that you would say that you're thankful, that it actually is something that sort of leaks out of you, that you are this thankful person, and other people would pick up on that. Okay, anything else jump off the page for you? You have to listen too. You have to listen too. So that it's not just what you think. Yeah. So sometimes we get caught up in the idea of what we want to say to the point that we forget to listen to where the other person's coming from. And that's an important thing to do because what it does is shows respect for somebody. It shows a, a sense of that I'm not just here to tell you, right? but I'm also here to listen to you so that then I can apply the word to you in whatever way is appropriate. Yes, Max. You have to be discerning, too, of what you're hearing. Yes. Whether it's truth or not. That's correct. Because that's what we're facing today. That's what we are. And so that's why we're spending the time that we're spending on looking at this. And again, trying to look at it from, I've called it an intellectually honest way. I mean, we have to actually know what it is uh, in order to respond to it. But the discerning part is the part I think that most of us are concerned about these days because um, it's getting harder and harder to tell truth from error. And then the fact that truth is just being sort of cast aside, absolute truth is, and, and what's in its place is your truth, my truth, and who are you to say my truth is bad and yours is good? Okay, so that's why we do spend time, we do spend effort um, learning about it and talking about it and thinking about it so that we're in a position not just to be able to discern, but also so that we can help others, as particularly the younger generations, help them discern. And that is a load today because the... uh, the influencers that are all around, particularly, and the platforms by which people get their information is way more than the speaking part that you and I, that you and I can do. So we have to be, we we need to be listening, we need to be talking, but we also need to be discerning. Okay, anything else? Yep. He says in scripture that we've been made new that his blood has washed away all of our sins and all of our transgressions. So the past has been washed away and we're new in him. Yeah. So she said that we're a new creation, new creation, right? That's what he says, new creation. And so see, that's why he can say in that very first verse, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So much of what we're hearing in the world today is a worldly point of view, right? This oppressor oppressed kind of thing. That's all worldly point of view. Okay, and so so part of it is then how do we respond to it? How do we address it? How we call it out for what it is? And that's kind of what my attempt here is in uh, leading us through this study. But if you think about what the worldly point of view basically is, 
it's, it's taking the viewpoint that says, you exist in the world for my benefit. That's the worldly point of view, okay? And if we're not going to regard each other or other people from that view, then basically it, see, because that view uh, precludes uh, service. That view says, well, yeah, you're here to serve. That's what, you were created to serve me. Right? Right? Oh, she said whatever I say. Oh, man, I am going to make my Christmas list right now, right? Yeah, but you can kind of see where that, that, that's sort of the orientation of today. That's what it's all about today. And, and what happens is, is that breeds resentment and that breeds a, a feeling that, oh, yeah, so it, what it doesn't do is it doesn't promote this idea of, of serving one another. So, okay, so let's get into steps then that we can take to be ambassadors of reconciliation and gratitude for God reconciling the world to himself as we think about what we've been talking about in terms of critical theory. Now, again, remember, critical theory is like the overarching theory. It, I always chuckle when they use the word theory because how long does it take for theory to become fact? Well, you just say it 20 times and then people assume it's fact rather than theory, okay? But the, but the critical theory is the overarching thing and then a lot of what's in the, in the press today uh, and in people's minds is critical race theory, which is actually an offshoot of critical theory. So that's why we're going, I'm going after this from the critical theory point of view, not just looking at CRT. Okay, so the first thing is, the first principle is to be informed. Uh, and here are some suggestions. Read all the humanities, ha, humanities books that your child or grandchildren are reading. This includes high school and college. Now, what, what books or what topics would be included in the humanities? You know what that is? What is that? History, philosophy... Do what? In our day, it was social studies. Social studies, that's right. How many of you know what that is? All right, we all know what that is. And, and, and how many of you just feel such a surge of gratitude and excitement for what social studies are? Uh, maybe we ought to get back to that. Civics, okay, is another one. Language, the arts, okay. Kind of basically anything that is not included in math and science. It's kind of kind of like that, okay? Uh, in the old days, those of us that went through school in uh, in the 70s, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, uh, who had liberal arts education. How many of you had liberal arts education? Oh, I'm the only one. Okay, great. Um, it was it was liberal in the sense that it wasn't business, it wasn't math, it wasn't science. It was more of an overall sort of holistic sort of education so that you get a little bit of expertise in nothing. That's kind of the idea of it, right? And, and nobody could do anything with a liberal arts education except become a church worker. So <laughs> that's what they told us, you know. All right. But actually, I really value it because it taught me to be, to be a critical thinker. Not critical in the way that critical theory is doing it, because that's not, that's not critical thinking, that's indoctrination. But it's the idea of being able to look with discernment and think with this part of your brain rather than this part of your brain. Okay, So, so there was actually uh, some, some great value in it, but that's why in, back in that day, um, 
pastors, LCMS pastors, as we went through our system, we all had liberal arts education. That's how they did it. Um, and then gradually they started letting business majors in. And that was the end. That, you know, that was the demise of, of our synod. Okay, anyway, so this is saying that you got to pay attention nowadays, even children's books. Okay, because more and more now children's books are being written and being illustrated and being uh, presented as, oh, this isn't this cute. This is so wonderful. It's indoctrinated in critical theory. You have to be aware of that. Okay, and so the reason for that is because advocates of CRT are sophisticated and they're intentional in permeating every structural system in American life where we see that happening in uh, higher education is primarily in schools of education, social work, human resources, and criminal justice, those four, and now in, in counseling professions as well. So it, what it's, what's happening is that it's getting harder and harder to be a professing biblically conservative Christian. You can be one, but it's getting harder and harder to sort of indicate publicly that you are. Because if you do, you're likely to be shown the door in terms of that particular uh, discipline that you're being trained in. You will be told that you're not the kind of person we want in this program. So what's happening to people that I know that are in school, uh, mostly in uh, somewhat in social work, but a lot of them in counseling professions, is they're learning to not say anything. Because you, they're not wanting, and I understand this totally, you don't want to jeopardize the, the possibility that what you feel called by God to do, you cannot do. Okay? So it's just to be aware of the significance of this and the way that it's uh, starting to play out. Pastor, yes. what do you do then? What? If you can't teach what you've been told, what do you do? You said don't do that. Well... So for me already as a licensed counselor who has always walked that line between state and, and church, it's getting harder. So you kind of walk like this. <laughs> you do. You do. Because if you make your living and, you, and the way you, make your, uh, you live your calling is protected somewhat in the church, in church life, it's very protected. It's not at all protected in state life. Okay? And so an example of that is that there is now a new vocabulary that's being defined and promoted by critical theory. And the example of that, I pulled this off the, uh, off the internet because I was very in, I'm always very interested in the ways in which these things are now starting to encroach on uh, everyday professions, of which the American Medical Association is for a lot of people a pretty pretty strong, pretty pivotal. And so they've come out now with... Uh, this a big thick thing called Advancing Health Equity, a guide to language, narrative, and concepts in terms of basically the idea is to combat uh, structural and systemic racism that exists in healthcare. Now that's the assumption. The assumption is that it exists even if it doesn't because again, as we've talked about, critical theory is based on the idea that if I feel discriminated against, or if I feel offended, or if my story is one of being marginalized, then everybody's is. So it's a, it's a global application to maybe one person's single experience in life, 
now says because that, that one person was discriminated against, then everybody is discriminated against, and that's the premise. Now, I found this very disturbing, but I also found it very instructive because at the back, like a third of the back, is a glossary of key terms. And what what it'll it'll demonstrate to you is, is that the everyday terms that we use are now being substituted for the woke terms, and there's a woke um, uh, rationalization for it, and the woke rationalization is being presented as being the truth. So last week, a question was asked by Lawrence about the use of the word white. Okay, we hear a lot about the use of the word white, and why is it that the word white now is the word instead of the word Caucasian? And on many forms that you fill out, instead of it identifying, you can identify as Caucasian, some you still can, But why is it that white is the term that's used is because white is the woke term. So every time we can only choose the word white or the the word black, that they're not talking about trying to say what your skin color is. They're talking about how woke they want you to be. So isn't that interesting and yet kind of disturbing, isn't it? All right. Do what? Spell the word you're using. W-O-K-E is the word that is used to describe people who look for injustice in the world, see it, they know it when they see it, and they are advocates for uh, injustice, even if it's not there. Because it's based on people's experiences, not based on people's facts. It's not based on statistics. It's not based on how many people experience this. It, you know, when the whole thing came out with uh, Black Lives Matter and the, the, the uh, idea that, uh, and this was promoted this way, that if, if uh, the number of people, number of black people that were uh, killed or injured by police officers, that was kind of the big push for a lot of the protests and this push toward uh, uh, with BLM, which comes right out of uh, co- comes right out of uh, critical theory, um, the what well, the idea, the narrative that was pushed was was that thousands of black people have been killed by police officers. But when somebody pulled up the statistics of it, they had to break it down in terms of how many black people in those situations were armed. That that sort of got uh, glossed over, and then the reality was statistically that it wasn't. It wasn't thousands. It was, it was some number way less than that, okay? But if you say that, if you say, well, let's look at the statistics, let's look at the actual facts, then you're accused of being a white supremacist because you're discounting someone's story. So see, it's, this is why it's so difficult to argue this. It's so difficult to to sort of present a position that would have um, some sort of merit in the eyes of those that are now fully indoctrinated in it and are the disciples of it. So that's why I've, I've, I've been helping us sort of understand it for what it is, but also looking at it from a spiritual point of view. I think, my own view, I think this is um, not compatible with Christianity, number one. And I also believe that's harmful for people's souls. It may be bad for America, too. Okay? 
But my focus is not on America. My, my focus goes deeper than that. My focus goes into where, how do we do our walk with Jesus if the world says Jesus doesn't matter? And in fact, that's the viewpoint that people have. Okay, so that's kind of been... So if you want to, if you want, you can pull this off if you want, off the internet if you want, but I just found it to be very, uh, very uh, instructive because I work in the world, I work in the church world, but I also work in the state world. And I'm, conf- I'm continually messing up what I call people. <laughs> well, it's just because the vocabulary is changing so rapidly and so much that it, and it just, you know, it kind of goes against common sense. And, and yet that is counted against you if you use the wa- wrong words. Like this whole pronoun thing, you know, the pick your own pronoun. It's like, what? You know, they is plural. That's what I was raised with. You know, my my ninth grade English teacher is rolling over in her grave. I just know that that I just know I just know that's happening, right? Yeah, Eddie. Uh, one of the most dangerous words is equity. Equity, yes. Which of course many people confuse completely with equality. Yes, he's saying equity and equality are confused, but a lot of people are using equity today. Really is a disguise of communism. Yes. Because it it assumes that the goods are dis- distributed in society yeah. according to everybody's needs. That's right. So it's not based on your work, your talent, right. whatever you do and right. use. But whatever you need, you must get it. Yes. And even if you don't work. That's right. That's correct. Of course, it's a big illusion, a utopia that has never been realized yeah. in Earth's history. Right. All the communist countries just went bankrupt. So do, went to yeah. Do you know why it's utopia? Do you know why utopian ideas don't work? <laughs> yeah. Because people with sinful natures are the ones that go and try to get that going. And so what happens inevitably is that, again, it turns into the haves, the have-nots. It turns into who's, who's smart or who's not so smart. It's, just, it's inevitable that we do that. Even in the long history of monastic orders uh, in, uh, in, in Catholicism, back, back in the Middle Ages, people said, oh, I'm sick and tired of the living in the city and all this rampant corruption. I'm going to go out and start my own monastery out in the woods somewhere. And somebody would say, I'm going to join you. And that was the beginning of the end right there. So, you know, it just is, it, that's exactly what happens when uh, two or three are gathered. Uh, there the sinful nature is with them as well. All right. So, uh, so again, um, part of what's happening is there are new standards of what to say. That's kind of what this, uh, this guide is about, how to think about it, how to judge and convict those that don't obey the CT, the critical theory dogma, okay? So what can we do? Some positive things we can do. We can teach all the Bible accounts. We can teach all the Bible accounts, including those where God's people sinned against God and each other in non-equitable ways, and then what did God do? See, the message of forgiveness is not part of CT. There is no redemption. There is only revolution. There's no forgiveness. There's only that you that if all the people that are oppressed would just simply rise up and take over the oppressors, then the world will be a better place. 
And so it's a flipping of the roles rather than a changing of the hearts. Okay? Christianity teaches change of heart, new creation, new self. But there is a recognition of sin is still present in our lives. And I think sometimes we whitewash the Bible and we only teach those accounts of where people did wonderful, amazing things and they were nice to each other. If you read through the Old Testament stories, you figure out the families in the Old Testament were more dysfunctional than anything you can think of, and yet somehow God worked through it to bring about redemption to the world. We need to not be embarrassed about that. We need to say more about that so that it doesn't just come across as if um, that somehow uh, Christianity is presenting this utopian society. It isn't. Christianity offers the message of God's reconciliation to us and that then we can also be reconciled to each other. Okay, second one, second principle, advocate for equal opportunities and equal treatment under the law, including faith-based organizations and churches. So get informed about local opportunities to generously support equal treatment of people who are loved by God too. And we want to be able to respect people who have disabilities, uh, people that are homeless, maybe because of mental illness, maybe some other reasons, racial differences, and nationalities different from yours. I think one of the things sometimes that happens for us is that we like the idea that birds of a feather flock together. We kind of do, and that's a human thing, isn't it? I would rather go and talk to people I know. It's hard to meet new people, especially if they're different. But see, I think one of the legitimate criticisms of us sometimes is that we sort of kind of tend to sort of say, well, I know my own and my own know me, and we're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about each other. So being receptive to and being open to the idea that we might want to and be able to connect with people that have those differences, that would really go a long way, I think, to sending a positive gospel ambassador of reconciliation uh, tone. Yeah, Mark. I work with another agent in our agency, and he has MS and is in a wheelchair. Yep. And in talking to him, he has MS and in a wheelchair. MS and wheelchair. And in talking to him, and we traveled uh, to different events together, and um, I was just, my eyes were open. I was just so amazed at the discrimination yeah. of people in wheelchairs. Yeah. He, yeah. He's treated differently. He's looked at differently. He, he sees eyes on him. Mm-hmm. And it's only happened in the last couple of years. It's gotten worse, but I, I just was shocked. Yeah. And and that's not even ADA stuff with, you know, notwithstanding steps and it's things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So some of it is to to avail ourselves of opportunities to be educated in that so we know. Yeah, sometimes we don't know, and then we kind of go, ooh, better not do anything because I don't want to offend. And then the act of doing nothing offends. I mean, it's, it, it just it works out that way. Thank you for that example. Uh, welcome people into our church. Share the gospel with our community. Uh, this one, the next one, get informed about candidates for elected offices as to their positions regarding government's role in mandating discrimination policies. Now, does that sound good or not? Do you know what I'm talking about there? There are some cases in front of the Supreme Court now that have to do with the idea that can a church and a church school limit who it, who it hires 
based on the faith positions of that church or school? And what if that faith position discriminates against somebody, i.e. like a gay person, for example? Can a church or a church school say our faith uh, statements believe that uh, a homosexual lifestyle is sin? So we're not going to hire somebody that way. The cases that are in the courts now that are making their way through the courts are going to determine that question. Okay, And so that's an example of where churches and church schools now could be prevented from saying no to somebody on the basis of your statement of faith, even if it discriminates against somebody being able to work for your church or your school. Okay, So part of it is to, to when we think about who we elect, uh, is to find out where do they stand on issues like that. Okay? Yeah. Well, as an employer, when we interview people at our office, we're not allowed to ask their sexual preference. No, you're That's not. Totally forbidden. That's right. That's and right. So we don't go there. Right. But uh, you know, they can't sneak in on you because you can't ask that. Either, so. You're not able to, and currently in church settings, we can ask that. No, you can. Yeah, in church settings. But see, that's what's working its way through the court. Because we would say, here's our statement of faith regarding that. And if you're a biblically conservative Christian, you're, you're going to run amok into that. Now, I don't know where it is with Dallas Lutheran. I don't know how, how they, do you know, Kathy, how they do that? Um, they must do the same thing. Because I remember a couple of years ago, we had someone from the outside help us with the drama. Yeah. And they just kind of had, I guess what they told him was he couldn't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was and he stood up and said, I can't do sure. that. We didn't fire him. Yeah. See, that's that there's that it's that fuzzy line between church and state that's getting harder and harder to navigate that. So anyway, that's working its way through the court. Um and so to give you an example of that, of setting boundaries that reflect our biblically conservative Lutheran Christianity which is founded on the idea that the Bible is the word of God, not the idea that the Bible contains the word of God. Okay, this graphic, which comes out of the out of the uh, uh, gay lobby, okay, has a, a le- has labels for churches in terms of how welcoming you are or how embracing you are in terms of LGBT. Um, which again, if you believe that the Bible contains the Word of God, you're going to have no issue with this, because then you can take passages passages out of the Old Testament and also those in the New Testament. Romans 1 in specifically, um, and you can say, well, that was written 2,000 years ago, and they didn't know what they were talking about, okay? That's, that's basically the gist of the Bible contains the Word of God. So, so it's kind of interesting, um, the terminology that's used to describe the, uh, the theology of that church based on whichever category you fall into. And I don't think any of us would any of us would say that here, but there may be well churches that would pr- promote that idea. So where would you say our church is? Where would you say we are? And maybe you don't know and that's okay, but I'm just curious what you think. We are in we are in the welcoming. We are in we are welcoming. Now, we're not going to say if you let God change you, then you can go to heaven. That we don't say that. But that's what is being promoted that way, okay? So we, we are welcoming. Now, we would also kind of be accepting in the sense 
that we would also say that you can come be a part of us, but you have to put limits on your lifestyle because that's what God's Word says. See, we're not saying that, well, that's what we believe because you know we're not comfortable with who you are. That's not what it is. It's, we, we have to go back to the Scripture and say, this is where the Scripture is, but definitely we're not affirming. And so the promotion in many people that are in a faith-based uh, uh, sort of way of seeing things is that, that the effort is to push churches to become affirming, okay? LCMS generally, as a church body, is somewhere between welcoming and accepting, okay? But, and then ELCA, Methodist churches, um, Episcopalian churches, some of them are moving into affirming, okay? So, again, it just gives you a little sense of, of where the pressures are coming from even within Christendom, okay? It's not all outside. There's a lot of pressure coming from inside, okay? Don't hesitate to speak the truth in love, even if it means being prosecuted uh, by worldly CT standards. Um, Very often Christians are accused of being uh, hateful, that the Bible is filled with hate speech because it would say no to certain uh, choices in life or certain lifestyles that people want to live. And yet at the same time, we need to humble ourselves, right? as we speak the truth, so that we don't become self-righteous and start promoting ourselves as better than everybody else, okay? That's a tough line, though, isn't it, to, uh, to navigate. Okay, principle number three. I need to put in a correction here. Yes, although, yeah, well, never mind. So the principle is emphasize the importance of the nuclear family. That is condemned by BLM. They seek to dismantle the nuclear family, especially fathers, by celebrating fatherhood, mentoring, counseling, and coaching healthy marriage and family life. So here's the correction. Statistically, children who grow up without a father. <laughs> What's a three word, three letters? What is that? That was one of those things where I'm, you know, I'm on a rant when I'm typing this. And so my brain works faster than my fingers did. Uh, but those that grew up without a father present, let me probably I'll say it that way, are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, 20 times more likely to end up incarcerated, more likely to have behavioral problems, run away from home, become teen parents, etc. If you really want a really great testimony of this, uh, go on YouTube and listen to Denzel Washington. You know who he is? Black actor, Christian guy. I mean, he really, he really just hammers this idea that um, the importance of having a father and a mother in the home, and the idea is that the father can bring a certain energy to the kid that the, that the mother can't, and so they tag team in a, in a very uh, powerful way, um, and then contradict the message of CRT by being a responsible and respectful father. Involve yourselves in fatherly activities, coaching, uh, control your reactivity. Do you know what that is? What, what is that? Slow to anger. Yeah, slow to anger. <laughs> with yourself and with your kid. Okay. And other things, you know, it's how I can't tell you how refreshing it is to see dads here, in here, right, in church, and not just that. I mean, I'm, we're so blessed by having women here too, but it's just 
It's, it's amazing because it is not the norm to see guys in church or to see guys in, uh, in Bible class. So that is awesome. Okay, the next one, number four, promote unity in the church. Uh, maintain a positive, gospel-oriented, anti-fragile church culture that welcomes them, trains them to be respectful, but does not forsake doctrinal truth. That's that discerning part, okay? Because if we, if we say, well, uh, we just want to be nice to everybody, and we never want to offend anybody, so we're never going to say anything to them about God's law, then we're, we're compromising doctrinal truth. And we can't do that and still uh, hold fast to, uh, to our faith. Prepare for outrage mobs online. Do you know what that is? Outrage mobs? Yeah. Okay. And perhaps in person, we don't know, to target the church's reputation in social media. And then prepare high school and college youth for what they'll encounter in higher education, how to resist without being contentious, you know, that sort of thing. And that's what, when Paige comes on whatever date that was that I said, um, then, then that's, what, uh, that's what she's going to help us, uh, help educate us with. Um, the fifth one is listen first. Practice skills of listening 101. Listen, paraphrase back, tell me more. That's kind of basic stuff. And then the last one is the best one, trust the gospel. That's the hardest thing for Christians today to do because we want to see evidence that it's working. That's, that's what reinforces this for us. And the hardest thing is when you, when you pray for something or when you promote the gospel or whatever it is that you do, um, we don't necessarily see an immediate sense of, oh, people turning their lives around or conversions happening. But we have to trust that God's Word is way more powerful than any man-made or any worldly kind of thing. But that doesn't mean we just ignore this as if it's nothing. It's not nothing. Okay? It's something. Yeah, Carl. Another, another key thing I think we all need to think about is take the example of our marvelous Martin Luther, who stood up and said, I am a Christian conservative. I can do no other. Yeah. So to using the example of Luther that we may at some point have to say, I'm a Christian loved by Jesus. I can't do anything else but what the Word uh, what the word says for me to do, and then let the chips fall where they may. Okay, so tough, tough stuff today, but good stuff, huh? What do you think? Good, good study. Yeah, good thorough study. Yeah, Brian. What's the core concept? Well, I think he's asking what is the core thing about Christianity that can't that the woke community has difficulty. Uh, with I think there might be a number of things, okay? But one of them that comes to mind is, is that they look around in the world and see a lot of unfairness. And the reality is they're right. There is a lot of unfairness, some of which is racial, some of which is, is uh, uh, economic, some of which is political. There's a lot, okay? And it's an attempt, I think, in trying to put the best construction on it, um, it's an attempt to right the wrongs of the world without changing hearts. So it is a neo-Marxist perspective which basically says the way that you can change the world is by changing it through government or changing it through uh, legislation or changing it through revolution. Okay, That's, that's the premise. And, and where this is coming from is, is that the promoters of it and the educators of it now are people who... Uh, 
had their roots in Marxism in Germany who came over to the U.S. and settled at Columbia University. And so then Columbia kind of became the hub of this. So many of the authors that we read of today, this Ibrahim uh, Zendi, um, uh, Robin DiAngelo, a number of the big-name authors are people that work out of Columbia University. So it's just to say that's become a hub and it's taken root now. And it's permeating all these uh, walks of life. Even corporate, even corporate entities now are promoting the idea of anti-racism, which is not what you think it is. Anti-racism is not what you think it is. It's a promotion of critical theory is what it is. Okay? So what, what do they oppose about Christianity? Christianity talks about redemption. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about changing people's hearts. It talks about the idea that um, there is, an, uh, uh, and, it, and it's there's equality in some sense of it. There's uh, no slave, no no master. There's no Greek. There's no Jew. There's no man. There's no woman. In the sense of of how uh, we take those things and put it, um, we take those things and corrupt those things. But the biblical principles are everybody's created in the image of God, and we ought to be treating people accordingly. They think I think they also look at Christianity in in terms of our failings, human fa- failings, and they say, "See there, you you guys have been just as discriminatory as, uh, as, as in terms of the world." So uh, it's worthwhile to study it and to take a look at it and say, "What is it that they're so opposed to?" Okay, yeah. Well, I heard somebody saying the other day that if you're white, you're racist. You are, yeah. So that the premise is is that if you're white, Caucasian, however you want to describe us, okay, you're the, the oppressor, and the oppressor therefore is by nature uh, racist. If you are the oppressed, you cannot possibly be racist because you're the oppressed. So if you ever felt like there was a double standard, you're totally right. There is. Yeah, there totally is. Yeah. yeah. If you have Christianity, then. So you have, you know your masters, you know, they, they think he's the one that Master of the gods. Master of who tell you. Right. So if you look at, if you look at, like, let's say, Gothic China, for example, they have no religion. Right. You go to China, and you have a Bible in your suitcase, they will confiscate it. And they can take you to jail. Yeah. So they don't want religion. They want you to say, my, the government's the master. Right. We're all known. We worship. It kind of goes back to Rome. Yeah. Hail Caesar. Yeah. We worship you. Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter whatever we do, they're still going to hate us yeah. because we say, you know, we've got Jesus, we've got God, that's our master, that's how we don't want to live. Yeah. They don't want you to live that way, they want you to live the way they tell you. So the issue would be then how do we live our lives knowing that, but how, does, how, how are our lives uh, informed and then dictated by? by the biblical mandate rather than by whatever that mandate is. See, that the more we do that, even in the face of persecution or prosecution, the more we do that, the more we send a contradictory message. We're contradicting what that's teaching and, and, and removing sort of the, uh, the air out of that balloon. Okay, we need to stop for today. Um, and let's see. So, what are we doing next week? I'm lost now. What are we doing? Is next week? Uh, are we still in November next week? Yeah, okay.
So we'll be here. Those of us that are here will be here. I know people travel on Thanksgiving, that kind of thing. But we'll figure out what we're going to do, and uh, I'll let you know, okay? All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, to learn to be discerning. Lord, there's so much in the world around us that sounds so good. It sounds so true. It sounds so much like what we would want life to look like. And yet, Lord, there's this undercurrent of... Uh, of evil, this undercurrent of of turning away from you, or at least marginalizing you in some way. So give us the courage, dear Lord, to speak up, but at the same time make us aware that there might be a cost to pay. There might be something that we may have to bear in order to do that. We pray for all those in the world around us, some of whom are confused, some of whom, many of whom are lost, and give us the opportunity as we have been reconciled to you through Christ to be ambassadors of that reconciliation with each other and with the world around us. Watch over us this week, dear Lord. Many people will be traveling over the Thanksgiving holiday. So we pray that uh, keep everybody safe until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.